You're listening to the Brand Builders Lab podcast, episode 64. Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. We're learning how to create an epic brand, find the right marketing strategies, and building your business is a constant evolution, classroom, and lab. Each week, we'll be diving into all things brand and marketing with special guests and solo episodes to help you build your business brand and big idea. Hey, hey, welcome back. Hope you're having a good week. Thanks for tuning in again. Whatever you're doing, whether you're walking the dog or hanging with your kids or driving in the car, I just wanted to say thanks. It is always so good to be hanging out with you. And I also just want to do a massive thank you for sharing the podcast on Insta stories and everywhere else. It means so much to me. And I love the fact that you guys love to share it. And sometimes I do get messages from people who are like, I've been listening to you for the last four days. <laughs> and I do have to say to them, stop immediately. If not sooner, you're going to get so sick of my voice. But if I'm honest, I just feel really, you know, happy and blessed that you guys love it and that it really speaks to you uh, and that it's something that you're enjoying. So if there are any specific uh topics that you want me to cover, then I would love you to let me know because obviously I want to make sure that we are talking about the things that you need in order to grow your business brand and bottom line. Now, if this is your first time here, lucky you. I'm your host, Suze Chadwick, and this podcast is brought to you by The Connection Exchange. A little intro to me is that I work with women in business to help you build a confidently bold brand, get out of your own way and start playing bigger and branding bolder, which is what I talk about all the time. And all of the things that we go through on this podcast are quite tactical and practical so that you can implement them in your business and it actually makes a difference to what you're doing, your knowledge, how confident you are in the things that you are putting out there. And that's what it's all about. So today is no different. Today I am speaking with, and I had a ball speaking to her. I am chatting with Rita Barry about all things funnels. Now don't run away. We are talking about super practical things that every business owner who sells online in any capacity whether it is live coaching programs, online courses, products, whatever else, we're going to be talking about funnels and how you can diagnose and fix any underperforming sales funnels in your business. But you're going, well, how do I know if they're underperforming? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today is how you can understand what's working and what's not. So Rita is a certified measurement marketer who founded her business, a boutique digital marketing optimization consulting based in the Canadian Rocky Mountains in 2009. So Rita Barry & Co is a relationship-driven company focused on metrics. They help six to eight-figure female-led businesses take control of their numbers so they can transform their marketing campaigns and drive more sales. Now, this is going to be a super practical episode. I know that funnels seem to scare a lot of people, but we are talking about really practical things in this episode. Rita and I have a lot of fun chatting about these things. I ask a lot of questions as I normally do. So I know that you can get more out of it. So I wanted to make sure that this is something that 
I'm really educating you more on because I think it's really important and it's something that I need to do better as well. So I am not saying this is something I do super well, but I know it's something I need to do more. And this episode's really helped to shine a light on what kind of metrics I need to be looking at, where I can find them and how I can make it work for me. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Rita, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, as with most of my guests, and we were just laughing about this, I kind of dive into the conversation and we start chatting and then I think I really should be recording it because this conversation is so good. So (laughs) we have been chatting about sales funnels and marketing automations and Obviously, this is your area of expertise, but I was just saying so many of my listeners have done really well in their businesses in spite of not having these things and the benefits and opportunities for them if they actually start to put these automations and funnels and conversions and measuring things in place. Exactly. And that's, that's often when people come to me where it's the same thing where they're like, we've kind of figured it out, whether they were scratching their own itch and they were their own audience is often where it starts. And so they had a really good product market fit already. And so, so many things happened organically, not that it wasn't a lot of hard work, but you know, they, they happened upon some successful offers over time. And by the time they're a few years down the road, they're like, you know what, I'm putting a lot of effort into all of this stuff what's the best and easiest way to do this? And are there maybe things I could stop doing because I'm trying to do everything? Um, Are some things more successful than others? And that's usually where the measurement piece comes in because they're really trying to optimize everything and make the best use of their time and, and really just sell what they've already made and sell it easier and better. Yeah, and I think that that word, optimize, is the crux of it all. Like that is the key thing. If you want to make your life a bit easier and scale what you've got and optimize the opportunity, I think that this is where, you know, that's the benefit really at the end of the day, which is exciting. Exactly. You know, and it's one of those words that doesn't usually come into play really early in business, but as people go along, they're like, you know what, there must be an easier way to do this. And, and there often is. And then I find sometimes, especially when people start to build even small teams, their teams are asking them around, you know, what should we be doing? What should we be doing next? Is this the right thing? And if they hear a new marketing tactic and they bring it to the owner and something I hear from owners all the time is they're like, I'm really tired of guessing because honestly, I feel like I'm guessing all the time. And now I have maybe a few other people who are depending on me to have the right answers. And what metrics and measurement and all of that stuff can do for people is to actually help them not guess anymore. They can actually say, hey, you know what? Let's go check how that's doing. And we'll, if it's not working, we'll know for sure. And it's not, um, not having to feel like you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants all the time. Yeah. Awesome. Now, obviously I've given a little bit of an intro into who you are and your business, but I always do love to know how did you get started? Why did you start your business and where are you now? Well, I started in 2009, so it's been 10 years now. Just had the 10th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. It's like, oh my gosh, I've been paying my bills for 10 years. It feels pretty good. And uh, so I actually, like, I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur. 
uh, I ended up leaving a nonprofit um, social services environment that I'd worked there for about eight years um, when my husband got his dream job. And so we moved across the country and I had to leave my career. And, and I ended up stay-at-home mumming. We had a two-year-old at the time. And, and I got really, really bored really fast. And, you know, I, I initially was like, oh, this is amazing. I get to stay home. And then I just realized, like, this, I'm not enjoying this as much as I thought I was yeah. going to. And I was also away from friends and family and all that other stuff. So it was quite isolating. And uh, I ended up getting online and uh, initially did web design. I just ended up having kind of a, a natural affinity and ability around that and, uh, and built that stuff out. But the imposter complex for me really reared its ugly head going, you didn't go to graphic design school. You didn't do all of this other stuff. And just the comparisons to every other designer online, right? It was just terrible. I'm like, let's go look at all the other nice things I can't do. And, and it was just terrible. So I, what I ended up doing was um, introducing measurement because I actually went to school for sciences for uh, biology and calculus. And that's what my university background was. And so I ended up bringing that to the web design saying, you know what, maybe I don't feel like I'm as graphically gifted as some other website designers, but I know I can build a website that produces business results and isn't just fancy, right? Like I can prove this. And so that scientific method came in and the measurement and the testing. And, and so that ended up being the point of differentiation for my web design services uh, where I'm like, you know what, this is, I can actually, you know, prove results on this and had really good case studies. Then people started seeking me out for that specifically. And Love then it. it morphed where people were like, hey, I just need this measurement part. I've already got the site. And about three years ago, uh, after baby number two, I actually stopped doing the web design completely. And now the business uh, just says measurement. And, uh, and we, we've specialized in that, grown the team. And oddly enough, the more you niche down, right, everything kind of just explodes on you and you can't even help it. So it's, it's grown so much more in the last three years than it did in the previous seven. Amazing. I love that. And so what have been some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Obviously, niching oh, is one yeah. of them. <laughs> and I do talk about this as well. I talked about this with another guest um, on the podcast, uh, Melinda, about the fact that there can be a million web designers. And if you can somehow differentiate yourself in a way that, you know, this is exactly what you do that's really different, or this is why you need it, I think it just makes such a huge difference. Well, is that, it became something that you didn't even have to sell, right? Because the, and the right people, I wasn't ever the right person to come. If you wanted like a really graphically heavy site with illustrations and everything else, that just wasn't my expertise. Um, I wasn't the right person for that. But if someone was, you know, coming and saying, I want to like a really modern, clean design, um, they liked a lot of white space and that sort of more minimalist design, and they want it to convert like nobody's business, then that was, you know, I was the person for that. And, and it, everything became so much easier when I stopped trying to be everything to everybody and really figured out where my lane was. Yeah. And then even more so now where the lane's even narrower, but if someone has a metrics issue, and it's not really common for females to do this, and I only work with female entrepreneurs, um, because you know sometimes people can feel a little intimidated, talked down to, etc., um, with the metrics and analytics and things. And that's obviously not. Uh, we're very relationship based. We can explain it like a real human. <laughs> you know, there's all of these big benefits, but it's even niched even further down. And it is. It's just so much easier to sell. Awesome. Any other lessons you've learned as you've built your business? 
oh, get help a lot sooner. Like to, to hire the team yes. has been really like the last eight months uh, of, of kind of just more rapid growth. And there's three of us now. And like, why didn't I do this a million years ago? And it's it's been so fun. And just to getting to be a leader and having that more social aspect to your business. And then also being able to mentor people with skills that will help them grow. And, and both of my team members have their own um, businesses as well. And this helps them work from home, do their own business, and actually gain a whole bunch of marketing expertise. So it's really cool getting to see them grow and develop as well. Awesome. And I think the other thing is, is that it means that you can do the things that you're really great at and outsource the stuff that kind of does your head in or that you're just not good at or that sucks your time as well. Because you're not good at it, it just takes, you know, three times as long. So, exactly. <laughs> the first time you get something back that someone else has done and they did it better than you would have done it, you're like, oh, <laughs> why, why am I doing this for so long? Like, this is amazing. And especially when they're like, I had so much fun doing this. And you're like, this is the worst part of my week. Yes. Win-win. <laughs> like, yes. I say it all the time. Like my, uh, my online business manager can knock up an awesome sales page in about 20 minutes and I would still be sitting there on day two fiddling and faffing about and cursing, <laughs> cursing the computer because I'm like, how does she does those, how does she do those icons? I can't find it. Yeah, 100%. So for those of you who are out there listening going, I just don't feel like I'm big enough or I'm not at the stage yet where I need help, but I've got all this stuff that's sucking my time that I hate doing. Outsource it now, today, oh, do it. It was literally, and it took me forever, literally a decade. Um, to do it. <laughs> and, and the second it started and it, it took, and we started like small with just a few hours um, with the one team member. And, you know, and now she's almost like, goodness, I mean, lots of hours. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's really expanded, but it was a comfort thing. And we just dipped our toe in and now I'm completely sold. And, and, it, and it's been amazing. And the amount of, the more clients we've been able to serve and the more spare time that I've had, and it hasn't affected revenue, profitability, anything like that. So all of those fears were unfounded. I just had to kind of keep an eye on everything because it is a big change in the business. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, fantastic. Well, today we are going to be talking about how to diagnose and fix an underperforming sales funnel. Uh, so I guess we are assuming that people have sales funnels in place, first of all, Rita, I guess is the... Yes. <laughs> True enough. Is the first thing. But I feel like some people have probably simple sales funnels in place, but I think that they've been put in place, but maybe there's really no measurement around it. It's like, well, somebody gets, you know, this opt-in and then I'll send an email and then something else goes to them and hopefully, fingers crossed, that all works. So today that's what we want to be talking about and, uh, and just share some key points and tips on how people can really see what's working and what's not. Exactly. And, and especially with sales funnels too, I don't want people to get trapped on that word because I find so often they're like, ooh, that's gross. Or, you know, or they think it's only for one specific kind of business. Like you can have a sales funnel for high-end consulting, like to just to get people on the phone for a discovery call, whether people are coaches or consultants and things like that that is a sales funnel. You can have a sales funnel if you've got online courses, if you have a membership site, like any different kind of business model. A sales funnel is really just educating a customer so they're more prepared to make a purchase decision, right? And so that. we all have to do that regardless. And if you don't like calling it a sales funnel, like 
customer serve, uh, not customer, <laughs> customer journey is, is the, like the trendy term for it now. It's all the same thing. And yeah. I think that's maybe one of the biggest disservices when people are like, oh, throw out sales funnels. It really makes people feel very lost. Like they're like, well, then what do I do? instead. And it's like, it's all the same thing. There's just different trendy words at different times, but a buyer's journey, customer journey, sales funnel, marketing funnel, all of those things virtually mean the same thing. But I love how you put it. It's the education of a customer or potential customer to teach them about what the opportunity is if they buy it from you. Exactly. And then they get to make an educated decision about that. So it's not that we're, you know, parting fools from their money or doing any of that kind of nonsense. We're just giving them the information that they need, that all humans need to make decisions before we purchase things. There's just this natural evolution that we all go through. And, uh, and, and really the sales funnel is just making sure that we're automating the information we're providing them uh, as much as possible which I find like more respectful. It means that I, who am in Canada, I can then go to a website in Australia. And even though you guys are sleeping, I'm still getting the information I need to know if I should make a purchase decision and vice versa, right? Like it really opens up the world where you're, you're providing information on the, on the potential customer schedule and not on yours. And, and so there's so much about sales funnels when they're done respectfully and, you know, with thought that they're, they're really honoring the person who's making that buying decision. Love it. All right. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. So what are the, some of the key things that my listeners can do to set them up in the right way to get the, these funnels working more efficiently and effectively? Well, there's three kind of the big overview three um, is the first thing is always to manage expectations. So we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, getting the facts. So it's going to be measuring all of these things. And, uh, and then the last piece is examining the pieces. So once you've got the facts, then you can actually look at the information. Um, so if we start with managing expectations, this is probably the biggest, because it stops people, honestly, before they even get started. So this is one of the biggest issues that folks have, is that, you know, if you do maybe intentionally set up a landing page, there's a lead magnet, you've got some emails that are set up, and then, you know, you press play on the whole system, and it's like, rainbows are supposed to happen and, and purchases are supposed to come rolling in. And even though like we're all intelligent, you know, just well-educated, experienced business owners, you still kind of think maybe, maybe it'll happen. Maybe, maybe even it's going to go viral. My <laughs> yeah. sister's not going to be able to cope with all yeah. of the new subscribers <laughs> and customers that are going to be flowing in. Yeah. It, and it is. It's so funny where we're like, you know what? I'm more rational than this. I know better than to wish for this. But the second you press it, you're like, I'm going to be the exception. This is actually going to work. And so what I always like to warn people with the funnels is that just they're not going to work the first time you do it like and work well. And so if you just kind of accept that, you just really want version 1.0. You want an imperfect action out in the world rather than just kind of waiting until it's perfect because it never will be. You have to have people actively engaging with it before you can ever do anything with it to improve it. So the first thing is get it out the door and realize that it's not going to be that good. And if, you, if, you, and if it does start working, then you're like, amazing. <laughs> That's great. But if you kind of lower your expectations that this is always going to be a testing project. This is always going to be a grand experiment and it's just iterating over time. It makes it a lot easier to not get really discouraged right out of the gate. Uh, so the biggest thing um, for managing those expectations is just to know some of some like just some loose numbers around, you know, sales pages often convert around 1%. 
Um, you have like landing pages. If they're to cold traffic, maybe 20% if you're lucky. Um, if it's warm traffic, it can be, or like qualified people who already know you, it can be much higher, 67 to 80%. So if you're looking for, you know, 10 sales at a 1% conversion rate, that's a thousand people to your sales page. And then if you're looking at that landing page, having a 20% conversion rate, that's another 5,000 users you need on that landing page. So if maybe you only get 10 to 15 people hitting your landing page, they're like, I'm not getting any sales at all. Is this broken? It's like, well, you might just not have had anywhere near the volume you need to have on that page before you can even make any decisions about whether it is actually working or not. And so that's kind of the biggest one out of the gate because oftentimes we really underestimate the amount of traffic that we need. Yeah, and I think that especially from a marketing perspective, just knowing, just kind of saying, okay, well, how many sales do you want? Like, okay, well, in like I would love to have 50 sales for this particular thing or whatever it is. And then being able to work backwards and then kind of saying, well, what am I going to need in order to drive that kind of volume of traffic? I think it's just, you know, as a business owner, these are just one of the skills that you need to start to develop and learn so that you're not wasting your time or you can make things better and you're not kind of jumping from one thing to another because you go, oh, well, that didn't work, so I'll try something different. Right. That didn't work, so I'll try something different. Right, and you have like 10 unfinished or unoptimized things instead of just focusing on this, getting this one thing working and yeah. then moving to something else. Like I had a client just the other week that had her landing page was converting at 0.4%. And, you know, she had wanted a launch of a certain volume. And when we actually calculated it out, we're like, you need to have 250,000 new leads into your business to hit that sales goal. And like the look on her face, it was just like, holy mackerel. And even though that's really unfortunate news to deliver <laughs> as a service provider, it's also incredibly helpful for her yeah. because she can see like, oh, you know what? I don't need to spend my whole summer getting excited about a certain launch goal that isn't based in reality, you know? Yeah. And, and so that we could then break it apart and look at what do we need to do to make those numbers more realistic around, you know, improving that conversion rate and other things to really get that up rather than focusing on that 250,000, which isn't realistic for her business. Um, but raising that conversion rate sure is, you know, it's a lot easier to do that. And, uh, and that was a really helpful piece, but yeah, those expectations are, it is, it's like flexing that muscle where you get better at it as a business owner and you can reverse engineer this stuff. Yeah. And once you can actually see it on paper, it's so much easier than having those false expectations and just getting disappointed for no reason. Like when you look at it, you're like, Oh, I got disappointed, but this math was never here, you know, in the first place. And it's going to really help kind of, uh, take some of that emotion out of it for people. Love it. Awesome. Okay. And so is there different um, averages for different industries as well? So there are, and people can do, I suggest like doing some research around your particular industry. Cause if you're doing um, coaching, consulting, online courses, there is, there is some variation. There's a lot, a lot of the email service providers do like annual surveys and things of industries uh, where they can actually check into it just to get an idea. But ultimately most people's conversion rates are, are kind of theirs. Like, so I always suggest find a baseline okay. and a benchmark for your business. Uh, and, and that's often where you stay unless you make changes, right? If your offer converts at 3% for your audience, chances are the next time you make that offer, as long as you've been bringing new people into your community and into your sphere and awareness, you're going to probably convert around that same amount, you know, if all things remain equal. 
And, and it's when you start looking at changing sales pages or messaging or all those other things that you can affect those conversion rates. Uh, but it's really important to find out what your baseline is. That's going to be the best indication of, of what your future, when you're doing your forecasting around like a next launch or things, that's the best way to really figure it out is to figure out what you are, what yours is. Same way with email open rates, that kind of thing. People usually have their, their spot, but benchmarks can help just um, because when I say like 1%, people are often really shocked. They're like, really? Only like 1% conversion? I'm like, it's actually really common. You know, yeah, so, I mean, that's what I've kind of heard over the last probably yeah. two years or so, um, just from entrepreneurs that I follow who have been really open about their own conversion. They like, it's usually about 1% of your email list or whatever it is, like you said, exactly. um, you know, people that land on your page. But I think the great thing about it is that if you've got your own benchmark, then you can kind of look at all of the numbers as well and say, okay, so this time we converted at 0.8%. And we had this many people visit and, you know, this was our landing page conversion or whatever it was. Let's do something different to up the traffic to see if we can change the language on the page and let's aim for 1% conversion next time. And just constantly being able to see those numbers can really help you to make those improvements that you want to make. Exactly. And it's really, it's not like when people were talking such small numbers where it seems like if it's a 0.8, you're like, oh my goodness, you know, what's the point in raising it up to one? But that's a huge difference, yeah. right? Like, I mean, it's, it's remarkable when you look at it, you can actually make um, like, especially if you're running like paid ads and things, and you have to worry about all of these sorts of costs and things. You can go from a funnel that's losing money, like in kind of a negative hole with their ad spend and everything else from a 0.8, and then all of a sudden they're a 1.2 conversion, and all of a sudden they have a profitable funnel. You're often not that far away from a profitable funnel just by concentrating on some of those conversion rates. And I know it can just, it can seem like you're barely moving the needle to go from a 0.8 to a 1. You're like, oh my gosh, what, why am I putting all this effort in to, you know, maybe hire a copywriter or get some assistance and some feedback on sales pages and things or emails. It can really make a world of difference. Um, just those small little numbers. Uh, it's quite remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that by, by just making that shift, it's like every, if, if every single time you run that, you make a 0.2%, you know, shift in the next three launches, you're flying. You've like doubled. Yeah, yeah. you've like doubled your conversion rates. And all of a sudden, those 100 people you wanted are now 200. And you haven't really done much except concentrate on some really key pieces of the funnel. Yeah. Okay. I need to, I need to focus on this a little bit more myself. <laughs> Just a little insight there. <laughs> okay, great. What else, uh, what else should we be doing? Okay. So the next piece after you kind of manage your expectations is getting the facts. And so this is, I'm not going to pretend this is easy as it's going to sound because measuring funnels can be a bit challenging and that's why I have a business. So it's, yes. there's a lot of, of different, you know, when you're dealing with different tech platforms and getting everything, because you know, like every time you go into a tech platform, right? Like Google analytics says one thing, Facebook ads says something entirely different. Your email service provider does not agree with either of those. It can be really, really confusing. Um, so the first thing with getting the facts is really to just try to pick a central place to get that. I like to do, use Google Analytics, make sure that everything gets in there. So there's kind of a central non-siloed issue, like you don't have all these metrics everywhere, you bring it all together. Um, but however you get it, as long as you're looking at the same platform for the same metric, so that it's, it's your, you're being consistent. Like if you want to look at Google Analytics for your leads, and that's where you always look, or you always want to look at your email service provider, you just want to make sure that 
the, the metric you're looking at always comes with, from the same place. So it's consistent and you're not, you know, confusing things. Um, and once you have all of those metrics, you know, and you kind of figure out how, well, I need to know what my traffic is. I need to know how many people are converting on this page. It really takes all of that emotional weight out of it because it's not, you're not trying to optimize based on gut or you start feeling like maybe I'm not meant to have a business. Nobody <laughs> you know, loves like, me. Nobody wants my stuff or whatever. I've heard that. I said it's I'm not good, good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that mental garbage comes up yeah. for all of us. And when we actually can um, look at the numbers and say, oh, you know what? There are some really, there's bright spots here. Some of this stuff is working and maybe some of it isn't, but at least when I can see it's not working in whatever working is for that particular part of the funnel, you know, then that's where you need to focus and concentrate to fix it. Instead of going, this all sucks. Nobody likes me. I should just stop having a business or it's like, or maybe your email subject lines aren't really strong. Yeah. You know, like it's just, a yeah. whole <laughs> Yeah. But it, it's really hard and we all get stuck in the weeds with our own business. So the, the numbers really help to be a lot more, you know, impartial and just kind of look at it as a, as an observer rather than someone who's got a lot of emotional stuff invested in it. Yeah, that's great. Where if we can take the emotion out of things, I think that that's just the biggest benefit for us, especially when you go into your own business, there's so much stuff that comes up. So let this not be one of them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. when, and I know that measuring the funnel can be super overwhelming if people aren't technical, but um, if you have someone on your team that can go through it and it's basically just start documenting it, pretend you are a customer or a potential customer and start on the landing page or start with the Facebook ad if you're running those or Google ads or whatnot and just start at the beginning. And, and I like to document everything in a spreadsheet. So that's usually the easiest ways to do it. Like just document URLs and going, okay, you know, what's the actual path step-by-step step that people walk through? And then you can document, okay, after they are on this landing page, then they get these emails, just so you can really see in one place together, what are all the contact points that the customers are having? And, and that way, it's because we often forget, you're like, oh, there's like a weird interstitial thing that's happening here. You know, we like forget all those little bits that happen. Mm -hmm. and, and it's really just getting a clear view of what exactly the funnel looks like, and then deciding what what's the important metric for that particular page? Is it going to be opt-ins? Uh, is it going to be sales? Is it going to be traffic? You know, there's not really a whole lot if you're dealing with a really kind of basic lead magnet, tiny landing page to sales page. There's not a ton of things you need to be worried about, um, at least for that initial view. Like you don't need to get super technical to get a lot of benefit from this. Okay, great. And so is there, I guess, when you are looking at something that is quite simple, do you... I guess, recommend a specific thing to be looking at, like, or should we just be looking at it all? So it's basically the traffic that you're coming, what's the conversion traffic versus opt-ins, opt-ins versus sales? Like, is that just a basic conversion exactly. map that you yeah. should be looking at? Yeah. Just figuring out, it's like, how many people are coming to this page? How many people are converting? How many people are, you know, if there's an email sequence that's involved, how many people are interacting with that email sequence, you know, or any of those emails letting you down, right? Like they're going to naturally decrease with open and clicks over time through the course of, you know, if you have seven emails or whatnot, um, you'll always expect to see a lot more activity at the beginning. So there's nothing necessarily wrong if you're seeing open rates drop off throughout a sequence. Um, and then how many people are buying out of, yeah. and then you can do, um, kind of pull out the big picture and then look at how many people, how much traffic's coming to that landing page versus how many people are actually buying. So you kind of do each of the steps with the conversion rate and then you can pull it back to what's the entire funnels conversion rate. Yeah. And then that lets you know like what kind of traffic that you would need to that page. 
Um, which, so we sort of jumped into the third one, haven't we? Which is examined oh, yeah. a bit. I'm just like, I'm asking yeah. questions of like, Rita's already going to like talk about this. And I'm like, but, but, but. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Interrupt just me. Jump, no, that's okay. I can talk about this for days. <laughs> So, yeah. I know. So the third piece that you were going to talk about is examine the pieces, which you were just touching on. So, yeah. Totally. So if, if once you're measuring things and you know what your conversion rates are and you know how much traffic you're getting and all of those pieces, um, then you look at and go, okay, what isn't working? Right. You know, like based on um, maybe some industry, st industry averages at the beginning, if you don't have your own to like, is this landing page converting around 20% to the traffic that's there. Um, anything less than that, and I say, you know, it definitely needs some attention or maybe the traffic source is really poor. That can also be like just not a good match for the page. Sometimes that happens, you know, when SEO grabs a page and you start ranking for something that you really didn't, it's not a good fit. Um, you don't necessarily need to throw out your funnel because the traffic source is bad. You just kind of need to find a different traffic source for it. Um, and that piece, so you look at your landing page, if, that, if that's the conversion problem, then you focus there. Right, and if you um, if the sales page isn't converting well, but everything else is good, you know, like I'm like people are, are getting that freebie, they're getting the lead magnet, they're getting through the sales page, but that seems to be where things are falling down. Then you start looking there, um, and uh, and one of the so things. How do you work out what to change on something like a sales page? Can be quite a long, obviously, piece of content. <laughs> like I'm just thinking of my sales pages. Uh, like, how do you work out? Like, do you just change one thing and see and then change another thing and see? Like, how do you decide what needs to change? So, well, optimally, yes. Like, when you're actually doing A-B testing, you really kind of only do that. Most people um, in most businesses that I work with don't do multivariate testing, which would be where you change multiple things at the same time. Mm. Um, but for a sales page, especially when you're looking at such a huge quantity of things, right? You're like, where would I even begin? Yeah. Um, the first thing you can do is uh, to get, you know, a heat mapping uh, software on there, like Hotjar. It's really good, crazy egg. Just to see like how people are actually interacting with the page. Because something that often happens is that people actually don't have a conversion issue on their sales page, they have an engagement issue. So if you see that people aren't even scrolling, if you're losing the vast majority of people right away on the sales page, it's, chances are it's more of a messaging issue at the top of your page. Maybe you're missing a really good hook, you know, that's actually pulling people in that they're finding interesting. Um, it could be a bad message match, like with the copywriting around um, the different stages of awareness. Like if people are still solution aware, like they're still investigating solutions and you're already talking about your product at the top of the page, they're like, I don't even know that I need this yet. Or if people are say even not even solution aware, but they're just pain aware and they're like, I'm really struggling with, you know, a certain problem and you're already talking about a product. I don't, I don't even like, ah, it's just not that it's not a match where they can't really naturally flow through. So part of the work of that sales of this email sequence is to really move people through those stages of awareness where they're understanding their problems more, understanding different solutions available to them, and then the product fits. So often people talk about the product way too soon. Um, and they kind of jump the gun a bit without all that natural education piece that we need to go through. Um, so if you have people kind of heat map their page and see what kind of interaction is happening, I would suggest actually working on the copy at the top of the page and working on a better value proposition for the product um, better problem pain identification, more of that copywriting messaging stuff than the actual product. Because if they're not even getting to the offer, then you don't know if you have a conversion issue yet. You just know that something about that page is not engaging them. Okay. Awesome. I love it. Very good. 
Anything else with the pieces that we should be focusing on? So other than, I guess some people really struggle with traffic, um, which can be like if, if everything seems to be working with a low traffic volume, um, that's actually where like Facebook ads can be really good for testing messaging. You know, sometimes if you're like, I don't want to be just waiting for organic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, just really kind of push a bit more volume through there just to test it if, um, you know, if you just want to have answers a little bit more quickly. So, I know sometimes that can be a real struggle for people where they're like, I'm trying to test like say a messaging change on a sales page. I'd like to know faster than two months from now, right? <laughs> and so, yeah. So there are ways, you know, and that's where kind of all of the marketing pieces come in of really getting more people onto those landing pages and into the funnels. Um, because once it starts rolling, it's a lot easier, but it's kind of getting everything started um, can, can feel a little discouraging. So sometimes just putting a little bit of ad spend to the side to be able to, um, yeah, just make it happen a little bit faster because we're all not patient <laughs> in our businesses. Yeah. 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 And with the ad spend on that, would you look at things like from a marketing perspective, would you look at things like Google AdWords or obviously retargeting through Facebook and Instagram, people that have landed on the page or would you be going through lookalike audiences or what sort of like in order to boost the traffic that you've got, what do you, what would you target? So if people had, uh, that's an excellent question. What Thank you. I do like to ask excellent questions. <laughs> if someone has like a good amount of brand awareness, so they have a pretty big footprint already, then retargeting people to a landing page where, you know, they've previously maybe engaged with them on Facebook or Instagram. So those engagement audiences you can grab on Facebook um, are really handy for that. And then also website custom audiences where people have been to your website that maybe haven't been to that particular landing page, that's often the lowest hanging fruit for people to get into the funnel because they already have an awareness of you. Yeah. You don't have to do so much heavy lifting um, up front to be like, I'm a credible human being who's not scammy and spammy. Come into my universe, right? So those folks already know you. So that's that would be the place that I would always start. That can be really tough if people don't have a big footprint. And even and big is kind of a relative term too. Like if you have anybody... <laughs> that's coming to your website. Anyone, anyone at all. Yeah. Anyone at all. You can totally retarget them. And then the bonus is like, it's only like a couple dollars a day. If you don't have a lot of people, you actually can reach quite a few people to at least start, you know, bringing them in and kind of reintroducing them to your content and stuff. Yeah. So I would always start there. Always start closest, you know, the, the people that are closest to you as far as warm and hot audiences. It's always the cheaper ads as well. And then you'll get to see if the messaging you're using and the ads you're using and the offer is actually working because if it doesn't work with your warm people it's not going to work on cold audiences so yeah. it, it's always a nice testing ground as well going okay you know my people really like this offer so now i can go and take it to cold audiences and we'll see how they respond okay and so the other thing that i'd probably say as well is that if somebody if people have come to the sales page but have not converted and then you've gone and changed a few things after realizing that the conversion is not where it needs to be retargeting them from a behavioral perspective would you think that they would go back to that sales page if they've read it and then they've not responded what do you think well i'd say it's hard to know whether they've read it right like yeah, where sure. if they've been to the page and and there's like some fancy things you can do with facebook pixels around only retargeting people who have been spent at least like 30 seconds on the page or a minute so i mean there's like some ninja stuff 
um, that can be done. But we, it's just the, usually it blows people's mind. They're like, we're not retargeting bounce traffic. This is so much cheaper. Yes. Um, and, it, and it is wonderful. So there's a lot of things that you can do with that. But if, say, we're just talking about like a straight up retarget where people have been to the page and they've been pixeled, it's, it's since we don't really know what the issue was particularly, mm. you can just, it's more I would caution is to not show them the same ad, right? So if they've been to the sales page, but they didn't purchase, some of the things that might be true about them, because we don't really know, is like, well, do they need more information? Did they not feel like they, there was enough evidence on the page? Right? Can we serve up case study ads? instead you know so it's not just a direct to sales offer is there um you know a special bonus that we can talk about but often it's it's the case studies the testimonials video testimonials are amazing if people have them and and so that they are seeing different things because different buyers have different questions uh and different people have different you know are you an emotional buyer are you more logical do you like to have all these things laid out for you so the ads for retargeting off a sales page can really satisfy a whole bunch of those different angles where you're not just showing them a direct to sales ad again because they didn't buy. You're like, well, maybe you had more questions. Some high end offers we do messaging like messenger ads, right? So that it's maybe they have a question that you couldn't possibly imagine, right? And, yeah. and often that happens where you're like, whoa, I would never have put that on my FAQs, right? That was just yeah. so specific. That so is that personalized or is that bots? So that for the message, so the, mes the message ads, you can have them answered with bots, but you can also have somebody that's actually like during live launches. That's what we do is actually yeah. have people, people manning that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm just like, I'm just going to use reader now just for my sales pages. No, I'm checking. Uh, so with testimonials, you were just saying, videos work really well. So something I've done with one of my sales pages is that we've got the video testimonials sitting on YouTube and then we've transcribed those and we've got the image of the person and then their testimonial. What have you seen convert better? Like having the videos on the sales page or having text? I would say you'd have to test. Okay. I, I don't know that I've seen one particular over the other because um, what you can do with measurement and with ninja google analytics tracking is you can actually see what kind of interaction people have with the videos and then whether they are more and then not just testimonial videos but lots of times there's like that hero video right yeah well, yeah, yeah. sales pages so you can measure how likely are people to make a purchase based on their viewing behavior of the videos mm -hmm. and and kind of create custom audiences um not the facebook kind but just <laughs> in google analytics yeah. to look at that and see like is this video making a difference you know mm -hmm. or if people watch the sales video are they you know 10 times more likely to make a purchase so that you know also that you don't like accidentally remove something that was a really important converting part of that sales page because uh, so often when we go on gut we're like i don't think anyone's watching that thing you know <laughs> and you go and measure yeah, like, I'm like sometimes i try and think about my behavior obviously my behavior does not account for everybody <laughs> so i'm just like <laughs> what, surprising i know but true uh, so sometimes i kind of look at that and i'm like but the other thing i saw the other day i use a divi theme on my website and i saw right. that you can duplicate a page now and a b test it so I think we might do that, like put the video testimonials on one and the written testimonials on the other. See if that makes any difference. I don't know. I've got to record a new hero video from one of my courses, but um, that is so good to know. 
The other question that I had for you, which is more around what's happening in the market generally at the moment, is the number of touch points for an opt-in when it comes to conversion. So I have signed up for one or two things more, more recently and I'm getting a lot of emails, which is obviously the funnel that they've got. And I just kind of think I really loved the opt-in and I'm now kind of checking you out on Insta and YouTube or wherever else. But the additional emails that are coming through, I'm kind of like, I don't like nowadays I don't want that much content. But I'd love to know what are you seeing in the market as far as people's attention span to the follow-up funnel emails and connection, et cetera. So the, the email stuff is definitely decreasing, like at least across the, the clients that I'm working with and, and pr primarily is female entrepreneurs who have online courses and membership sites. So just to help people understand yes. what the context of that is, um, that the email open rates, click-throughs are down, but that the touch points that we need to have are, are still there. So we're actually coming at that from a number of different places where people have AdWords going and they're retargeting that or they're retargeting with display network through Google ads or through YouTube videos um, or Facebook ads. We do a lot of like, we have just some campaigns for clients that are going to, like, just like welcome. Thanks for signing up for that freebie. Right. And just value add content as an ad but to that very small audience after people have signed up so that even though they are getting that email funnel, because the same thing, I've noticed that just personally myself where I'm like, wow, this is like some heavy email. That's a lot of stuff. And I'm just like, yeah. I really like you and I like what you gave me. And now I kind of want to unsubscribe because I don't want like seven emails in seven days or something like that. I'm just like. Completely. Unless that's like, unless I signed up for like a seven email and seven no. <laughs> That's the only time I want that. <laughs> you know? It was. It was. Imagine, that. It I only have seven emails in seven days, but no. <laughs> it's like that's what you signed up for, Sue. No, it wasn't what I signed up for. Yeah. Yes, but other than that, that's the only time I want that. And otherwise, and I do. I just feel like you know what? This is. I, I want like smaller pieces of content now. And that's really, um, that's what I find where most of, and even some of the webinars, you know, where most of the clients are going, the, and then we don't like mini training sometimes where it's like, it's just 15 minutes, but there, there are videos that people can opt in for just so they're getting more content. Everything seems to be trending toward that smaller, but super useful type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and cause I think we are, it just, people are just kind of burned out on all that like excessive amounts of content yes. that isn't maybe inherently useful. And, and so the trend is definitely moving toward that stuff. And then, and honestly, there's still some people that get away with excessively long content that still does really well. And that's mm. really where the measurement comes in where you, you can know it's working or you can know it's not working, but definitely like trending toward like much shorter little little snippets. There's not like the hour long webinar still exists, of course, but then also these little ones in there. And yeah, it's, it's just cool. And it's fun to experiment and to be able to have a really nice base of those metrics and understand what an entire, what their whole marketing looks like in numbers. And then they can go out and try these new experiments because that's really what they are. And they're like, you know what, let's go see how this works. Mm -hmm. And then we can go back and go, well, that didn't work at all. Okay. So let's, let's try something different. And then the next time they do something, and if it does work really well, then they know where to focus their energy to. So it's just, it's really, it streamlines everything. And 
and it can free that up because sometimes the rules just don't apply to some businesses, right? Like the conventional rules, and uh, and sometimes they do. And there's really only only one way to know is to actually figure out how your business works, yeah, and then go from there. Awesome. Rita, I could talk about this all day. As my listeners know, I am a total geek girl um, and I always have a million questions about these sorts of things, but I, <laughs> that, was, that was so good and really, really useful. So just to recap, when it comes to diagnosing and fixing an underperforming sales funnel, we've obviously talked about managing your expectations and really knowing what that conversion should look like, getting the facts, uh, as well, and then examining each of the pieces. Now, if you want to go and take a look, uh, Rita has been really kind to give us some notes for the show notes as well, so some examples uh, that you can go and check out. But Rita, where can my listeners find you online? Well, my website is uh, Rita Berry, which is R-I-T-A-B-A-R-R-Y dot co dot C-O. So there's no dot com. And, uh, and then also on Instagram, I'm Rita Berry Co on Instagram. Those are kind of the two places that I hang out um, the most. I'm usually head down working, but I do, I do make an appearance on Instagram a couple times a week and like to visit with people and stuff like that. But uh, we measure a lot of marketing. We don't do a ton ourselves. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, uh, what is it? The plumber's tap is always leaky, but that's all right. Absolutely. And, uh, no, it, it works out all right for us. Yeah. And so you specialize in working with coaches and consultants. What kind of businesses do you mainly work with? So we have a lot of coaches and consultants right now, but anyone who has a, an online program, so courses, uh, any kind of digital course or membership site. So we have a lot of continuity programs that people have. And, and lots of times businesses have both, right? Where they've got that front end signature program, continuity on the back end, but uh, female founders and uh, female led businesses. And anywhere from usually six to eight figures is where we hang out um, for supporting folks just because they get the best return on the investment from working with us as they actually have built up a certain degree of revenue. Awesome. That is so good. Well, thank you so much for today. I, I love it. This was super fun. Thank you. It was great geeking out with someone else about it. And I uh, know it's always fun finding another nerdy female to talk about it with. Oh, fantastic. Well, have an awesome day. And I'm sure we will stay in touch for sure. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, guys, I'm sure you can hear it. Like in the audio, I was geeking out seriously on that. Now, a couple of things that I am doing and taking action from my own podcast. So you think that the podcast is for you, but really it's just for me to learn more. (laughs) So some things that I have literally just done is I have asked my virtual assistant, online business manager, Melissa, to start to track all of our conversion rates. So from the opt-ins that we've got, what are our conversions, what's working, what's not. I'm going to get that on a regular basis. My hubby does do some of the analytics for me around Google Analytics. So it's really taking a look at the systems that we're using on the website at the moment. So any of the opt-in software, what analytics is that giving us? And then taking a look at my Google Analytics, which I have always looked at to see which pages people are landing on, how long they're spending, what the bounce rate is, all of that sort of thing. Now, if this feels really hard for you and you're like, I'm not technical, Suze, then get a VA that is who can really help you to, you know, make things better in your business. I think this is where 
when we're not good at something, we just kind of throw our hands up and we go, oh, well, like, I can't do that. That's not what I'm good at. I don't understand it. Instead of getting the help. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you is that over the years, I have created a lot of stuff. Like I've created a lot of opt-ins. Some of them have worked, some of them have not worked. But I think the thing that I really regret or that I wish I had done a lot sooner in my business is to create something of really high value, which a lot of my opt-ins have been, but then to tweak and work on them and market them more and do more with them. I think we have such a disposable mindset sometimes to the things that we create and we miss the opportunity to really make the most of those things. So I am going to be speaking to my hubby about getting some of the content or the analytics that Melissa is going to give me. I'm going to give that to him for him to look at Google Analytics for me and we're going to start to tweak what it is that we're doing and make it better. Now, In episode 62, I also spoke with Melinda Keto about how to get better conversions on my opt-ins in general. So I think that these two episodes go really well together. So tweaking the copy, making sure that you know what the conversion rate is, and then really understanding some of the stuff that Rita spoke about in today's episode, I think is really powerful. And I think if you want to get more out of what you're doing, then this is something that as a business owner, like many other things, it is worth learning, understanding. And if you don't want to dive into the detail, outsourcing it to somebody who can. Okay, so we've got Rosie Shiloh coming up on the podcast soon as well, who runs a network of virtual assistants. And I'm going to be talking to her about how you can find and outsource your work to the right people and how to find and select those people to work in your business. Now, if you want to dive deeper into the analytics of what you're doing in your business, then finding somebody who can do that, I think is going to be really important as well. So, I loved that chat with Rita. I am going to be implementing a number of things from this conversation. I would encourage you to do the same. And if you've got any questions, then go and check out the show notes and go and connect with Rita. She's on Insta and obviously you've got access to her website. But if you've got any questions, I would really encourage you to connect or just ask people who you know are great in this area as well. But (laughs) thanks so much for joining me for another week on the podcast. As always, it's awesome to have you here. Now I'm going to do an ask. Can you please go and leave a review on iTunes for me? Just go now. Don't even listen to the end of this podcast. Just go immediately. (laughs) And let me know what you think, because I would love to get more reviews and obviously get more shares as well. Obviously, if you loved it, go and share it on Insta or anywhere else. But you can hang with me everywhere on socials at Suze Chadwick. But until next time, have an awesome week and make sure you keep playing big and branding bold.